What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. We've got a busy episode here for you. Nick, Rob, and myself have had a ton going on, so we'll go deep into uh, some funny stories and also really deep into the fishing here at Lake Fork, one of the most famous and best bass fisheries in the country during a challenging time. We're going to break down how my tournament went and how to catch some big Texas bass in the wintertime. Hope you guys enjoy the show. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. Hope uh, you've all had a great week, and we're coming at you from kind of all over the country. It's been a busy week, uh, so let's see what's going on with the guys first. Let's start with Nick, man, as he's sitting in the closet of his house. Just hanging out here <laughs> in the closet. You know, I, I like to find the most comfortable and scenically pleasing areas of my house, and Today I'm coming to you live from my uh, daughter's closet. So if anyone needs a skirt, let me know. I got you. Nice. But uh, yeah, man, it's been uh, it's been kind of a crazy week, as it always seems to be for me. I'm always the provider of ridiculousness, and I don't think this week let me down. So you guys ready to hear a story? Yeah, dude. It's been a while actually since Nick's really had a good one. So let's hear it. That's true. I had to wear a prototype jacket last week to bring some humor on to the podcast. And this time around, I don't think Rob will bail out a third of the way through my story like he did last week. So <laughs> I, uh, I was in Missouri um, last weekend. I was in a little small town called Canton. And I was looking at a mobile home park that I have under contract. So everything was seeming good. They had had some crazy weather blow through. And I was luckily on the tail end of that. So I saw all the carnage of people who had like missed flights and they had gotten onto the flight the day that I got out. No problem. So I fly there Friday night. And then I drive two and a half hours from St. Louis on icy roads and get there and everything's fine. I get in at like midnight to my hotel room wake up the next morning and I have everything set up to um, go inside. I was supposed to go inside all of the, the homes there and I didn't get to, but it was okay. And uh, so the, um, everything's going good. Inspection is going fine. I met the manager and things are good. And so I'm measuring the distance between the homes and doing all these things. And one of the residents comes out and he's got a big pit bull on a on like a, a steel braided cable like not even a leash bro he's got him like on a winch cable and i'm standing at the house like across from his house right with a clipboard and i'm like doing all sorts of nerdy like math calculations to see how bad of a decision i'm making and the dog is like like lunging on the cable and he's like oh the guy's oh really gosh, friendly dude. everyone was super friendly except for this guy's dog and he's like, don't worry about it, man. He's real playful. He, he thinks your clipboard's a Frisbee. When I take him to the dog park, he loves his Frisbee. And me being gullible and stupid, I thought, oh, okay, well, that, that seems reasonable. Plus, I love dogs. So I was like, oh, okay, cool, man. This dog is like lunging on the cable towards me. And uh, he's like, you want to come inside my house? Because I had gotten shut down on so many. I was trying to get a sampling of, you know, what's the condition inside of these homes. And he's offering. So I thought, yeah, all right, cool. Let's, let's see what's up. So I take like two steps towards this guy and the dog. At this point, like the dog like rears up on his back legs because he's pulling on the, on the winch cable. And I went in, man. And so like I put my hand out, you know, like with fingers down and the knuckles towards to see. <laughs> Dude, whoop, my hand is in the mouth of the dog. Just like, whoop, just went right in there. Clamped on? Gentle. It was like a F you come a little bit closer and you'll have no hand kind of a bite. And he like jumped up on my leg and had like his dew claws around my thigh. And the guy's like, Oh yeah, he's friendly. Don't worry. He's friendly. And so the dog is in like humping position on my leg with my hand in his mouth. I was like, okay. And the dog like lets my hand go and it's all slobbery and gross. And it's, you know, it was literally 14 degrees outside. So I have like three jackets on. I looked like you fishing at four. And uh, so I like took another two steps up to the little staircase. Dude, then the dog gets my pant leg <laughs> and he's holding on to it. At this point, the door opens and out comes the guy's wife with a 12 month old baby. And it is 11 degrees outside. And the kid's wearing like a onesie. Like, and he's like, go back inside. Like the kid's cold. He just wants to look inside the house. And like an idiot, I'm still going for it. Like I'm committed to seeing inside this guy's house. The door opens up another it wasn't a pit bull but it was two mutts of some terribly scary huge 
design. <laughs> as soon as they saw me at the door, zoomed over. And they're like right up. They had their nuzzle in my groin, like sniffing and like posturing, like come inside a little bit farther. And even though you have a vasectomy, we'll make sure you have nothing in that region. And so they're barking and sniffing my crotch and I'm trying to like push in. And at that point I realized I don't need to see what's inside this house anymore. Like oh, if man. I can just do a 180 and have both testicles and go back down the stairs without that huge pit bull eating my ankle, it would be a success. And I pulled that off. So I narrowly escaped losing genitalia and a hand. I was like, all right, man, thanks. Yeah, that's good enough. I can see all I need to see. So I was like, okay, I had the warm and fuzzies. Don't worry, this story is accelerating. So I was like, all right, this is good. Like the inspection went good. The the people that live there seem reasonable. Like I don't see any headaches and like, let's do this. And so meanwhile, my wife was back home with uh, all the kids and uh, it was Saturday. So my daughter had a birthday party at one of those godforsaken trampoline parks. Nice. And so she texts me from there and all right, everything's good. And then like a little while later, she's like, well, Claire says that she didn't see it, but she like got knocked down and she has a headache and wants to go home. I'm like, oh, all right. They get in the van, dude, and she starts puking. Ugh. So I was like, oh, dang it. Like, good thing we signed a waiver, right? Because I'm sure the first thing that says there is like, your kid will get a concussion and you accept all, you know, all the oh, responsibility yeah. for that. It's like, all right, well, like get her home. Like everything will be fine. She's laying on the couch, taking a nap. Dude, my son gets into a bottle of Tylenol and polishes it off. Shut so up, then, dude. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Claire has a concussion on the couch and Max finds medicine and pounds it. And so they call poison control. And luckily, like, he's heavy enough that, like, it was a dangerous situation. But poison control was like, you know, you, you got to go to the hospital. But uh, everything's going to be okay. Be just fine, but dude, you're panicking. You're feeling terrible. Oh. So they yeah, went to the you're hospital. Yeah, a thousand miles away. There's nothing you can do, dude. Dude, and my wife's a hero. You know, she stepped up to the plate and did what any parent would do and took care of things. And they ran a blood screening and everything's fine. But it was like I got bit by a pit bull. I got my nuts muzzled by some terribly scary, who knows what kind of a mutt, and then all that happened. So I caught the first flight home Sunday morning and. Uh, made it back and everyone's fine everything's good it's just parenting though right like you just have days where like crazy stuff happens and yeah that's like the ultimate i mean you, you, thank god nothing happened but that's some serious stuff dude that's crazy this is a crazy week man so golly so everyone's healthy everyone's fine everything's good but it got it got a little intense there for a moment that's nuts did you buy the property then uh, so, I, yeah, hopefully the owners of the park aren't listening to our podcast. They're not one of the 13 people. We're kind of doing the two-step right now where, you know, there are some issues that I'm trying to get a price reduction based off of, but I'm I'm good to go, man. I I go to the Midwest, and it's just like, this park is cool. It's right next to the Mississippi River. It's literally next to the levee, and then the river's right there, and there's a big lock, and it was 14 degrees, and there's icebergs literally the size of a bowling ball floating down the river and it's like it's just a fishing community though man like their mascot is a, a guy fishing and like the whole tourism industry is based around fishing it's nice. like I, I think i'm just gonna live in here i'll manage it and live next to the pit bull guy yeah sounds, <laughs> he's real friendly like the guy says so that's good uh, dude. That's nuts. <laughs> he didn't eat my hand he only sucked on it so he, and if he if he wanted to he would have dude it was so fast. It was like when you see like those videos of like a 10 pound bass eat a bluegill and there's like one minute there's a bluegill and the next minute the fish's mouth is closed. That was like my hand. It was just like, Bloop, it's in your mouth now. And now what do I do? Like, it's your hand if you want it. Like, I don't Man. know. Can I have it back? Crazy. Follow That's that crazy. one up, Rob. Hopefully he's had a more relaxed week than you did. Yeah. I've had way more stuff go on, but not as crazy, I think. So, um, and I'll, I'll be quick about it, but uh, Boyd was able to get on the mound. Uh, ASU baseball opened their season on Friday night and Sunday afternoon, they had a big lead. So they put him in, in the ninth inning and, uh, he faced, uh, three batters, got the first grounded, the first guy out lined the second guy out to third baseman. Um, third guy, he walked him and they put in a, um, uh, pulled him out and put a, another pitcher in just because he was at his pitch count. But it was pretty emotional. He got a, a standing O when he uh, walked off the field. And 
in his post-game interview, he talked about how he cried a little bit out there when he That's was coming sick, in, dude. and every teammate hugged him. It was it was a pretty special moment for us um, and for him. So it's pretty cool to see him, you know, come back from Tommy John. Um, in the meantime, I was prior to that. I was out at the old Pueblo, old Pueblo mountain bike race. It's a twenty-four hour race. Um, we didn't fare very well. Uh, <laughs> So I did it like in uh, 2009 and in 2009 uh, they had like 300 teams, four man teams in our division. That's the division we're in and it's very competitive. And I think we finished like 35th that year. Um, this year, I think we finished 350th, but um, it's amazing. How does it work? So it's um, individual laps. In, so the four man team, um, your first guy starts out the race by running a half mile and then he does his lap. He gets on his bike and does his lap. Uh, and then from then you just exchange the baton in the tent. Um, I was the second rider. Our first guy, Mark went out and did a 126 with the run, which is, I mean, for, for us guys, that's pretty solid. Like the pro guys are doing like sub hour laps, like 58 minute laps. So think about that. It's 17 miles, dude. They're rolling like 17 miles an hour. That's pretty crazy. incredible. So we're averaging around that 12 mile an hour mark. Um, but Mark put down an hour and 26 lap. I did an hour 20. Uh, Troy did a 119 and Les did a 131. So nice. pretty solid. That's cool, um, dude. Yeah, it's just like fishing though. Like you get out of it what you put into it. And we've kind of slacked a little bit on our riding. So, but it was fun. Um, my second lap was at seven o'clock at night. So I had my, my lights on. Um, and I just didn't see these two rocks and I just right <laughs> over them, smashed them, cut and sliced my rear tire. Um, so I was, it was kind of a bad deal. I got a tube in there and I got a couple more miles out of it. And then I ended up stopping at an aid station and got a ride back. And that pretty much ended our race at that point. But, um, I was going to get up the next morning and do a lap. Instead, I, I packed my stuff up and came home to get to the game in time. And I'm grateful that I did to be able to see Boyd do what he did. What a freaking uh, couple days, dude. That's Yeah, insane. nuts, right? Just Yeah. So, I was I was having like panic attacks before this weekend cuz I had so much crammed into a few days, but it all worked out and Monday morning I got up and did a guide trip and fishing was awesome and so it was cool. Was it? It's It was. It was decent. Like, you know what? I shouldn't say fishing was awesome. Fishing was good and I've been fortunate, like these last few guide trips I've done, I've just had some of the coolest people ever. So, That's a big deal. Yeah, I had a, I had a husband and wife from Minneapolis and they're, they're, uh, Hmong, they're Hmong people. It's not a common, they're from, they don't even really have a country, but uh, they came over when they were really little with their parents and they're just super cool people and just had a great conversation with someone from a completely different culture and, um, I suggested a Mexican restaurant for them to go to. And I got a text this morning um, and they said, Oh, it was great. Sorry. It took us so long to text you, but the Mexican restaurant was great. And when you come to Minnesota next summer, hit us up and we will take you to Mung town in Minneapolis or in the twin cities and, and show you around. So oh, you just connections, it. like that's the beauty of guiding, right? Like just the connections you get oh, yeah. with, with people that you would never, ever connect with. So pretty cool. That's and awesome. Yeah. That yep. to me, honestly, separates a good guide from an average guide is that sure, like their ability to catch fish is ex important and that's what you're paying for in the one hand. But all of the guided fishing trips that I've gone on, I like it when I have someone who is more than just the fishing. You know what I mean? Someone yep. who you yep. enjoy spending the day with and you share things. And some of my best fishing friends were, you know, guides that I had yep. hired in the past. And it's awesome. Yep. Yep. And yep. some of your worst friends too, right? Yeah, two of which that I'm <laughs> doing podcasts right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I it's uh, like they say the oldest profession in history is uh, prostitution, but I think fishing guides are right there next to them, right? And it's like I just like to participate <laughs> Dude, in the uh, speaking dance. Speaking of prostitution. Yes. You, how about the mayor in Ohio of that town talking about did you see that deal, that article? That's weird. Do you want me to read it? Please. I know nothing of it. I'll just read that part. Yes. He's a guide and a prostitute. Let's see where it's at here. Um, so 
yeah, I guess we don't have the whole article here, but the guy's last name is Schubert. And they're talking about ice shanties, right? Like whether ice shanties should be allowed. Just ice fishing alone. Because he said said ice fishing alone is going to turn to ice shanties. (laughs) Okay. Schubert raised an altogether different concern. If you open this up to ice fish, if you open this up to ice fishing, while on the surface it sounds good, then what happens next year, Schubert asked. Does someone come back and say, I want an ice shanty in Hudson Springs Park for X amount of time? And then... If you then allow ice fishing with shanties, then that leads to another problem, prostitution. <laughs> what the and Now you've got the police chief and the police department involved. <laughs> this sounds what like a, an outtake from Impractical Jokers, like someone's feeding hilarious. him a line that he just has to say. Dude, it does. It's so ridiculous. Vote for that guy. I, I, don't, I can't even wrap my head around the whole thing. It's hilarious. I think though. the guy, I think that mayor has some history of some pretty random stuff. Well, really? I understand. Yeah. So whatever, but when the perch ain't biting, you got to find something to do to pass the time. <laughs> <Right>. stay warm. <laughs> oh, How weird, dude. Yeah. That's funny. Well, dang dude. It, uh, and, and to bring it back to uh Boyd, I just think it's awesome, dude. That's the highlight of, of the whole episode really. And, uh, Dude, how long how long was he out with Tommy John after so, that surgery? Or when he so he didn't even – March 9th is the 12, 12 months. So he actually came out before before one year. So he's he's worked extremely hard. And uh, I know that's just silly to say, but, like, it's not easy to, to get to the field every day and watch all your teammates go about their normal practices when he's, you know – happened to do rehab and, and, you know, just certain stuff. So it's, uh, we've had two really emotional, uh, points so far with it. One was when he first threw a ball, um, you know, that, that was super cool. And then for now, when he gets on the mound and dude, it's just, it's special. Cause like the crowds behind him. Right. Oh and, man. And yep. it, my parents and, uh, Tracy and I were sitting there and there's some guys up behind us and, the one they were younger like college students and one kid said what's all the cheering about what's going on the guy's like vanderkoy's on the mound he's like what you know he was just like surprised by it. he's like yeah he had tommy john he's like oh okay cool he goes sweet mullet and then i hear my wife whisper in my ear it's not a mullet but <laughs> why would you not so, own the mullet if yeah, i could grow so. one, that's something to own it's no, just no. it was it was just really super cool to see the crowd get behind it and uh you know so anyhow. all i can think of is eastbound and down when when kenny powers is on his downward cycle and he's all mad and he's like kicking his glove and throwing it down and they're booing him off the stage i think they're off the mound that's that was boyd right that was oh yeah the reaction sure. they were giving him the opposite <laughs> yeah. he's like throwing his glove down i'm done uh, <laughs> one of the best yeah. shows of all time really yeah. it's it's up there uh, yeah so cool. asu's got this new buzz about it too with the new coaching staff and um I mean, Boyd's having the time of his life. Like it's, this is the, the college, college experience that he always wanted. You know, the, nice. the team is tight. The coaches are, are tough, but uh, respectful and communicative and just, just good, solid. They know baseball. They know how to make, they know how to make players go through a brick wall for them. So I think they're going to have a, I think they're, I don't think they're going to be crazy good, but I think they're going to have a good season just because, of what um you know you, you just can't have a good team and not have a good season that's all there is uh-huh. to it yeah uh-huh. good yep. teams beat good individual players well yeah looking uh-huh. back they've had some superstars come through there in the superstars. last few years but Absolutely. but the team yep. dynamic was not what you would want right correct i think the team was always tight but i think the coaching was just was just and i'll bash them on here i don't care they don't listen but they yeah, just of course. it just wasn't they're, I don't know, didn't know how to coach young men. Let's put it that way. Yeah, that's cool, man. So I like it. Well, that's good yeah. to hear. I can't wait to see how the rest of the year goes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So just to give you guys perspective, I, we keep bouncing around here a little bit, but that old Pueblo race. So um, there was a guy that finished first in the single speed division. I got to tell you what he did just to give you a, an idea of these freaks. So he finished first in the single speed division. A single speed is like a hardtail mountain bike with one gear. You know, it's think about it. Okay. 1930s technology. Yeah. He did a solo race by himself. He averaged 13.2 miles an hour. 
His moving time was 23 hours, 34 minutes, and 37 seconds. insane, dude. Distance was 311 miles. Elevation gain was just under 27,000 feet. Mount Everest. (laughs) And his calorie burn was 17,709. Yeah, that's insane. Freak show. Like, that's just unbelievable. He never stopped. Never stopped. He was, yeah, in 24 hours, he was down for... 26 minutes just enough to drink water just enough to fuel up and drink water and and yep yep that's crazy (laughs) wow so that makes what i just did this week seem pretty petty no but like not me our team was the team sitting on the levee with the cane pole and he's josh bertrand on the ml no he's freaking uh, (laughs) he's got four there you go so anyhow josh let's talk about the tournament man yeah, well, I mean, Talk I'm sitting you. here. I'm sitting here because uh, I missed the cut. Unfortunately, uh, I had live camera both days, and if you caught much of live, I know they showed, you know, they showed the fish catches, and then they also showed some of the losses. But it was an unbelievably frustrating tournament for me um, because, like, I did have tons of opportunities given to me to do well and make the cut and have a good tournament, and uh, I just didn't take advantage of it. So. I'm really frustrated in that aspect, but I learned a lot this week. It was still fun fishing Lake Fork. Um, and like, uh, and you know, right now they're out there. It's, it's unbelievable how nasty today is for the knockout round. I still would much rather be out there than inside. You know, I've had a lot of people say, well, hey, at least you don't have to fish in that weather today. But I would have taken it, dude. I would have been out there, but I will say what it's horrible. What is the weather doing today? Dude, it, it's right now, it's uh, – 11 o'clock and it is 30 degrees uh drizzling freezing rain and north wind 15 to 20 miles an hour and it's oh. been like that since they took off and it'll be like that until they come in oh. never crack never gonna crack freezing all day long and then that wind our first day of practice we had this situation it, but it wasn't this bad it was like 37 and uh we were popsicles by the end of the day. It was horrible because the wind, the wind's what makes it so bad. You get sprayed and then the spray freezes, freezes on you. And it's like, dude, it's like someone's got a, uh, a fan blowing on you and then a squirt, a spray bottle full of freezing cold water. And they're just spraying you in the face <laughs> all day long for eight hours straight, you know? So it's just, it's brutal. Your hands hurt. Your rod guides are frozen. Your reel is frozen nothing works right you lose dexterity in your hands go ahead rob i hate to be the debbie downer here but like do you think or i don't know i hate to be negative i just do you think next year they'll be like dude let's not start these tournaments in february well i'll tell you i mean and i probably told you off the air but dude the reason we're having this tournament in february is because everyone around the country is sitting at home watching it and not fishing Uh, themselves i i agree with that 100 percent. but it comes down i mean (laughs) That's when it's about the dollars, and it's, I mean. As it should be, bro. Capitalism. Screw well, those fishermen. It's good for us, too. Like, it's, dude, it sucks. I agree. I agree. And it's dangerous, but, dude, it's better for us to have a lot of people watching than not a lot of people, too. So, and it, it I, I would like to see one February tournament, not three. Right, right. <laughs> you know, if you look at the weather patterns in all these eastern and southern states in the winter in February, you get one big front every week, right? Every uh-huh. week. So you're here for a week fishing for seven or eight days. Like, yeah, you, you're going to get we it too. Yeah. You're going to get it. Yep. And it's and been a uniquely it. cold winter for the Midwest and the South, yeah. you know, like it's been, it's always miserable, but I think a lot of places are having a uniquely difficult winter too. So you're right. We talked about it at Darbone and, and, and like you just talked about where you were at this week, dude, in Missouri, um, and then we got this front and then, Hey, guess what the, uh, happens next week at Smith. Another front is supposed to hit the first day of practice. So, um, yeah, I'm we're, having, you. we're having our biggest winter event this today, right now in Arizona, we're having, you know, they're getting more than a foot of snow up in the, on the rim. So, and that's actually welcomed at home. Dude. It is. Yep. Yeah, that's yep. good. But, um, so, the, so to set up the fishing this week on fork, Fork is one of the most famous lakes in the country. It's a bucket list bass fishery. And I do love coming here. 
it's got some shortcomings. It's, it's a small lake and it's so heavily pressured that that gets really frustrating as an angler and it makes the fish really smart, but it still has these crazy genetics where like the average weight of every fish is probably four pounds, you know, average. And you swing the rod and you're instantly thinking this is, could be legitimately a 10 pounder every single time. So that's what, that's, what's cool about it. What's unique about this is the water's down like seven feet. And this is a lake that normally is pretty stable, but they did some dam repairs in January and uh, they can't just fill it up. There's no switch that they can be like, okay, let's just take some water out of this lake and put it in fork. Now they're waiting on it to rain. Um, So this lake might be down for a while, but the fact that you're, you know, a late winter, early pre-spawn bite, the water's cold, you're getting fronts and the water's down makes those fish as predictable as could ever be. There's some unique patterns going on, but it's a fastball down the middle to all these 80 guys out here. Like the fish are in the drains and this lake has really pronounced drains, like different lakes around the country have different types of channels or ditches or, whatever as far as the way their their water runs from the creeks and sometimes their the whole creek is going to be like a v and slowly taper um in these lakes the creeks are very flat and there's one really pronounced ditch that runs through and it snakes through some ditches are better than others some of them have been silted in to where it's not really pronounced but some of them you look at the map and it, it comes out off the bank flat 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 and then there's a four foot drop and right on the edge of that drop you got these stumps that Lake Fork is famous for. And I mean, there's stumps like no other lake in the country. They're everywhere. But the stumps on the drains, that water running through the drain has eroded around the roots. So the root systems, like you take a stump that's on the flat and then a stump or a tree, I should say, that's on the flat and a tree that's on the channel or the ditch, the the one that's not in the channel, the roots are not exposed. But the one that's on the ditch and the channel it's the roots have been all the stuff's been washed off the roots. So it's like a house for that fish to live in and a really good tree will have three or four big fish sitting in the root system. Um, so it's just so easy to know like, okay, well, it, and that's where the fish retreat to when it gets cold. So the, the channels ditches were loaded with fish, but also loaded with boats. There, there's a 300 boat bass champs tournament next weekend. And <laughs> it went off limits for practice yesterday or uh, Monday. So Saturday and Sunday are tournament. You would be in a ditch and you might be sharing it with one other tournament boat from your tournament, but 15 dudes pre-fishing bass champs. No. So, um, yeah, it was a, it was a nightmare as far as that goes. And it was just, it's so obvious that here's where the fish are. And this is where the boats are going to be. So that was a, a challenge. It's easy because like, Hey, you know where the fish are, but it's challenging because like everyone else does too. It's no secret. Like anyone that's uh, a first grade level in bass fishing knows those conditions are going to put the fish in the ditch. And I actually, when practice started, my hope was to find them doing what Wheeler ended up again, figuring out better than anyone and, and catching them in that main lake standing timber. Um, I, and it, you know, catch them on a jerk bait. Some of those fish that hadn't pulled into the creeks yet. And um, the first two, three hours, I got into one little area that had a couple fish, but it was the wind was so intense, and I never got into the right area and had those clues to where I was like, I can keep doing this. So the wind was blowing so bad that day. It was like 25, and I like I said, it was like 37 degrees. So I was like, I got to get. I can't fish effectively out here. I got to get into one of these creeks. First drain I go into, I get three big bites. I'm like, man, so the drain sucked me in, literally. And, uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, after that day, we had one more day of practice. And I was like, do I go? I, I wanted to kind of still do both, ba- bounce back and forth. But I go into another drain that morning and get a couple big bites on these big stumps on the edge of the drain. I'm like, well, I think I just, I'm going to do this. And I made that kind of my game plan and, and worked around the drains. And uh, it sucked in practice because you know what lives in the lake. And February is when the fish are at their biggest. And dude, you pull up and your, your boat's sitting in 12, 14 feet of water. And the edge, you pull up and you're fishing this drain and there's the perfect scenario. You know, it's like an outside little channel bend. There's a bunch of average size stumps around and there's, there's one that's the size of, uh, you know, it, it's the size of your kitchen table or whatever, half your kitchen table. 
and you cast up next to it and you feel that bait coming through the roots and you just feel thunk and then it slowly swims out to deep water and you can feel its head shaking as it's swimming and you're like oh my god dude i can't set the hook but i'm probably shaking off you know a seven plus pounder dude who knows it could be a a 12 or 13 you're like this sucks you know because you want to catch it so bad but and then the bass champs guy comes by and catches it right behind you swings on it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's the horrible thing about it but you know you just can't set it you know because you might have a chance to catch it again the next day in the tournament and, and it's just it's everything so textbook like everything you ever read in a bass fishing book about fish and pre-spawn fish you know it's just like it's everything's textbook and you got it on a on a black and blue five eighths ounce jig with a chigger <laughs> craw on the back of it like a big fish bait it's on your flipping stick with 20 pound line and you're like, Oh I'll man, manhandle you. If you, if I set this hook and you got to let yeah. them go. So, um, tournament rolls around and I, I pick, I pick a Creek channel that is, I know it's going to get hammered, but I thought it was the best one. And, uh, this channel is like a mile long. This ditch is like a mile long, um, running from the back of the Creek out to where I'm at, where it's really pronounced in a good depth zone. And I started where I saw the most bait in practice I had had two bites, two big bites there in practice, and there was a lot of bait, and uh, they were biting pretty well early. The first period, I think I had um, five or six bites in there. I caught a seven, eight. Uh, I caught like a, another, maybe I'm trying to remember, like a four, and uh, maybe one more smaller fish, like a two something, and I lost another two, which is, I mean it just happens. One of them had buried me in the roots. And then I think one of them had uh, missed my spinner bait. And uh, I'm like, okay, no big deal. And then the second period, you know, but I'm in decent shape. I'm in whatever 13th or something. Second period rolls around. I think I catch one more like four pounder then I lose like three. And I'm really frustrated, you know, because I've had the bites to be up high, but little diet, that was nothing yet. Like that was, I had not experienced anything as far as fish loss goes compared to the rest of the week, but I'm already below 50%. And then the third period, it really died off, dude. And I didn't catch anything in the third period. I think I might've had one bite. So it was a little concerning that my, it, what I think happened was the bait was in that, that part of the ditch early. And I think as it warmed up, those fish had moved up onto the flat a little bit more or pushed further back into the creek. Andy Montgomery was in the back of the creek and he had a really good afternoon. Um, by the time I had kind of put two and two together, it was a little late for me to come in there and start bumping boats with him. So um, I knew that it was probably not going to be good in the afternoon in that part of the ditch the next day, but I, I probably had to go find another area to go in shallow and not be around him and a couple other guys. But um, next, so I'm in 22nd. Uh, out of the 40 I need to be in the top 20 after that day the next day rolls around and they are biting in the morning I mean it's it's it had warmed up a little bit but we had clouds and a south wind really good conditions and that first period I get 10 bites on that jig and I mean dude if you would have told me I had 10 bites all day I would have gladly taken it because if you can put eight of them in the boat at a four pound average that's 30 plus pounds and it's a great day right now um Dude, I catch three of the 10. I have a couple that I I miss a couple. I have a couple come Mm -hmm. off halfway. I have a couple bury me up in the roots. And uh, it's just disgusting because I knew I burned (laughs) up all my best stumps. And the early window was over. And I've only got three fish in the boat. And now I'm in like 19th with – and and everyone else is charging hard below me, dude. And I burned up my best stuff. Second period, I get like three bites, lose them all. <laughs> um, and dude, it had gotten so bad. Like there was one, I missed the cut by six pounds and all those fish, hit, it's part of fishing. Everyone has these days, but it was the worst of my life. And the last one I lost was on a spinnerbait. I had had enough fish burn me up on the roots with the jig. So I'm, I'm bumping a spinnerbait over the top of these roots. And I figure, you know, if one comes up out of the roots to get it, it's not going to get me down back into the roots. I got it on 20 pound. So dude, it does. I throw this three quarter ounce spinnerbait, roll it through the roots. Thump. And uh, it's like a five or six pounder right on the line of enough to get me in the cut. And it comes off at the boat, dude. Oh. And, uh, I just like 10 feet from the boat. 
And I just stand up and don't say a word and just like I'm chuckling to myself. I'm like, of course it did. You know, it's like one is one of those days where as soon as you hook it, you're like, how is it going to come off? You know, and that's not a good uh, state to be in. But I, I was trying my best to avoid it. You know, I told every time I lost a fish, I was like, you know, you tell yourself, you can't let it affect you. I'm not going to let it affect me. And then it still affects you, you know, so it's just <laughs> one of those things. It's I'm here. I am three days later talking about it. I told every single person I know about it so far. So uh, <laughs> I'm a little Dude. sour grapes, but it what is what, what is, is your Marshall's reaction when you just lay like all of the universe is crapping on you like that? Are they just like silent or like they have is- to because we had a camera in the boat the whole time and they're not allowed to say anything. So yeah. like I'm literally just like I'm just <laughs> on an island by yourself. through it. And yeah, they can't say a word. You know what I mean? So and they don't say anything. So I'm just yeah, you are by yourself. You're you're it, on an island, but you have everybody watching you. Like yeah, exactly, under a microscope. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think they showed all the losses on there because there was enough actual good content of the people not losing fish to show, but there were a few of them that ended up making the show. And uh, uh, it just is what it is. So long story short, dude, it was, it was frustrating. You know, I mean, I, and there's something, sometimes you can take away from it. Like maybe, maybe there's something you're doing wrong. And I, you know, at first halfway through, I'm like, this is what it is. There's, there's a reason I lost a lot of fish. The first mm-hmm. reason is the amount of pressure. So these fish are professional bass. They have people, they see 20 jigs a day. They got people, especially in these conditions where there's nowhere to hide and they're sitting on the ditch and they're sitting on those stumps that everyone Six knows feet about. Six lower water than normal. Dude, they're I mean, so dude, pro, they even wear jerseys. Hey. Seriously, they yes. probably do. But, yeah. uh, you know, you got to imagine if you're one of the, these fish I'm fishing for, if you're one of the three bass that lives on one of these 10 prime stumps in a creek channel, um, you know, the whole thing is you're fishing, you're fishing each stump 10 times a day from every angle, throwing at it 20 times. And, and all you're trying to do is get one and make a mistake. But that fish, it's like, it's, it's in them to where they can't, sometimes they can't help it, right? That thing comes bumping by it just the wrong way. They snap at it, but they're not, you know, I had very few fish actually really eat it good. So I think that's part of it is they were biting very apprehensively because they're just so pressured. And, and some of that's on me. I picked the most pressured Creek on the lake to fish just because I thought I had the most fish, but dude, like, uh, like James, one of my roommates here, he's fishing today cause he made the cut and uh, he was able to find some fish in less pressured areas. And he's still lost some fish. Everyone has this week, but not as much. And I think part of it is he was smart enough to pick a less pressured area where the fish are seeing five jigs a day instead of 20. And oh. so on a short strike with a jig, what is there to do? I mean, you can't, do you slow well, you down? Give, Go ahead. Yeah, that's it. Like, and when you're losing them, you're like, okay. Like if you're losing them halfway back to the boat, maybe you're too jacked up and you're hitting them a little too hard and you're tearing a hole in their mouth and they're finding a way to come off. But then you lose one like that. And then the next one you lose because he buried you up and down into the root system. So you got to get on him and jack him to get him out of that root system. It's a, it was a real challenging thing. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm still kind of scratching my head about it. I definitely, cool. um, it, I, I learned a lot and, and always watching live. It's really interesting. So today they're fishing and they have the worst weather of the week. It's horribly cold. I talked about it, you know, it's 30 degrees as a, is like a high, the wind's blowing 15 to 20 miles an hour. It's, it's freezing rain, but the fish are biting as good or better than they have any day this huh. week. And, and what's interesting about that is it just goes to show, uh, you know, what I'm taking from that couple things, when you do get a major, major front, the fish will still bite through the front. It's after the front when it gets clear and calm and, and, and still that they don't bite they're mm-hmm. taking advantage of these conditions right now because these fish are because they're not going to eat for the next couple of days hey, you're after right. it clears up again but another thing is and i was talking to gerald about this um he thinks their positioning gets really different too he you know he was saying you know if you take you look this time of year at any lake when you get those warm sunny days that are just kind of still the fish use those opportunities to move. So they might actually be moving back and, and tr- transitioning their, in their position, right? They're moving from, from their winter time locations to their pre-spawn locations or moving from their pre-spawn locations to their 
spawning locations and they might be a little harder to pin down when they're moving. But when you get a horrible, nasty, nasty front like this during the front, those fish might actually suck to that cover where they're actually at and, and those those ideal places like those stumps on the outside channel bends they're going to hunker down to that and that's where you're fishing you know that's where they are so you can really pinpoint them better and when you put your bait right on that stump that fish is right on the stump rather than potentially swimming off that stump to go to the next stump that is a hundred yards further back into the creek next to where he's going to spawn. Does that make sense? Yeah. And you create a traffic jam, which creates more fish on one stump, which creates competition, right? Exactly. Totally. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. And they would travel on the good. Interesting. Yeah. And they travel on good weather days because it takes less effort, right? Like it's stable and it's just, they're not fighting probably more current if it's wind or something like that. Is that why they would choose that? Definitely is they're going to, you know, hug up next to something also to not have to battle any, any current or anything like that. Use more effort. Uh Yep. Yep. So I don't know. It's just a theory, but it makes sense, you know, but uh, it definitely this week we've seen two fronts roll through and these are the most picky Florida strain bass on the planet. So it's, it's an interesting study case study, right? Cause you like, you get to see how these fish behave over this many days and you look at the weights every day where the guy's fishing and um, they just flat out bit better on the days when the front was hitting than uh, post frontal, even though it's freezing cold, you know, we thought, you know, Roy and James made the cut and they were like, it might only take 15 pounds tomorrow to make the cut. And it's going to be way over that. Um, I just checked. It's 32 pounds leading and it's like halfway through the second period. So it's a good day. Yeah. Pretty interesting, man. It's interesting how the, the fish are not as affected yet. It's just like, that's just a delay. They're going to get affected by it, but not quite uh-huh. yet. Yeah. Falling barometer know. too, right? So they like that. The barometer is going to be falling on a day like today, no doubt. And we'll see, you know, we'll see how long they stay biting, but. Um, how, I've never crazy. been to Lake Fork. How does that, that area um, handle that many boats? Like you have that many, is there giant boat ramps there? Is there a lot of boat ramps? What, what's, what's That's up a good with question. That? There's a lot of boat ramps. Yep. And yeah. so even with the water being, when the water's there, 50, 50 plus percent of them are unusable because of the low water, but there's still at least 10 boat ramps that you can use right now. So when it's high, I bet there's 25 boat ramps that mm. you can use. Um, so that's a great question, man. And, and, uh, you got you're so telling, many guides. Go ahead. You're telling me there's 500 boats on that lake any given day. Oh, easily. When we were here last <laughs> spring, it was insane, but I'm not kidding. You, you, you know, this is an off season, dude. We're in February and these, these good ditches on a nice day would have 15 boats in one ditch, you know, every hundred yards is a boat. And where I was fishing, there was, I mean, there was a bunch, dude. And I, again, there's, there's the whole conversation. Anyone's obviously welcome to go fish anytime. And we're here for a whole week. So we don't expect people to stay off the water for the whole week. But, um, you know, it, it was to the point to where, and as an angler in a tournament situation, you're making that conscious decision. Do I want to deal with the boats or do I not? And if you wanted to fish the obvious good creeks that had good ditches in them, you were going to deal with that. And that was your choice. A couple of the guys were able to find something different and, um, you know, they, they're doing really well. Now there's a lot of dead water and you might've looked for different stuff. Like I looked for a lot of different stuff and I never ran across it, but some guys did figure it out and they're not having to fight all these boats. Interesting. But but I love fishing be... low water. Do you guys like fishing low water like that? I like low water just increases your chances, right? I mean, yep. it's, it concentrates them. I mean, I, I'm looking at like Roosevelt with all this snow or getting it, the lake's going to come up more, which is fantastic for our future, but not great for right now, you know? So yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'll take, I'll take the future plus over good today, I guess. Yep. Yep. And, and you look at what's happening here. If this lake stays low, for uh two three years and um it keeps getting the pressure it's getting it'll hurt it yeah it's guaranteed you will see a downswing it might not be terrible downswing but it's not going to be as good in three years as it is today if they don't fill it up and have some successful spawns because these fish they don't have any cover on the bank to spawn on either so they're going to have to spawn on these stumps and uh 
that fish is going to spawn on the, on the, on the biggest, best stump. And guess who's going to, every single fisherman is going to go flip that stump a hundred yep. times, you know? So it's a, it's a how weird many, situation. How many guides are on that lake? That's such a popular guide. I've heard as many as 500, dude. I don't know how many are legit. That might be how many licensed, you know what I mean? I don't know how many are out there on a daily basis. There was quite a few that you'd see that, you know, you see the three guys on the boat and you're like, that's probably a guide. Uh, there's a bunch and it's very competitive, man. I'm surprised yeah. there aren't tires being slashed and stuff like that, huh? Yeah, they got a little guide wars going on there, I think, <laughs> from what I can tell. Yep, yep, <laughs> yeah. We've seen some pretty funny stuff on on the internet and uh, yeah. it's it's very competitive as a guide out here it'd be a fun place to guide but a tough one too because dude it's uh people have such high expectations coming oh, to yeah. a lake like this and and you're watching some of the best dudes on the planet fishing and and catching two three four five fish in a day i mean you get That's two guys guide. that are average yeah. fishermen on the boat with you like it's 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 a it's a miracle if they catch five fish right now you know what i mean yeah yeah, that's a tough situation. Obviously, during the prime time, I'm sure it's phenomenal. But that's when you have to pack a good sandwich and have lots of jokes to tell if you're going to get tipped at all. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. It would be tough. I think as a guide, it's way easier on a lake that's got a lot of numbers. I think the ultimate guiding lake is Table Rock. Oh yeah. The guides yeah. out there, bad day they catch twenty fish. Uh huh. And a good day and they it, catch a hundred, huh? exactly and they're easy techniques right you're fishing open water spinning rod here you're you're having you know you're having to uh fish pretty you know it takes a lot of feel and good casting and um yeah and then obviously execution i mean dude i buffooned 60 percent of my bites this week you know and uh i've got a lot of practice yeah yeah, yeah it's a technical fishery for sure um and hey there's been a 10 pounder caught every day but one which is pretty That's crazy insane. too. If you look back, um, the big, no one had ever caught a 10 pounder in an MLF event leading up to this year. And um, there were, I think three 10 pounders caught in Louisiana. And this week there's been like seven 10 pounders caught on this lake. So it's unreal. So that goes, that goes back to the, the positive side of fishing in February. Correct. From a, pers yep. a spectator perspective, it's yes. the bomb. But, well, just, I mean, that's just when big fish bite. When it, fishing sucks, big ones bite, you know? It's evident. They're never bigger than they are right now. And, yeah, I mean, that's part of it, too, exactly. That's a huge part of it. But they're just, like, wintertime fishing. Ever since I was a kid, I'd go to fishing seminars, and all these local guys here when I was a kid would say, if you want to catch a big one, fish all winter. And they're right, you know? Yep. Uh-huh. So... That's the uh, prize of, of, you know, battling through the conditions. So yeah. you do yeah. make a good point there, man. Do you have a lot of guiding coming up yourself? Yeah, I've, I've, yeah, I had two trips today that we canceled due to the weather. The podcast? Oh. Uh, due to the podcast, yes. Yeah. Now, due to the weather, I'm taking uh, the guy that I was supposed to take this morning. I'm taking him tomorrow morning. And uh, my afternoon trip was uh, one of our loyal listeners, Patrick Schaefer, uh, he's going to make a trip out here in August. So we'll go then instead. So cool. I don't blame you, people, you know, have you been going to Roosevelt or have you been going to Saguaro? Saguaro, Pleasant, nice. Bartlett. So has Saguaro shown signs of life? It has. Yeah. Nice. It's, I'm, I'm excited. Hopefully it, uh, hopefully we can have a pretty, uh, normal year there. It's looking like we, we might, so we'll see. Good. Normal yeah. is a, it's a dangerous word to use these days. In any it is. Isn't yeah, it? I hope you're right, dude. Normal yeah, to, well, I didn't see any masks level. on the dock yeah. is what I mean. <laughs> good. Yeah. That's good, man. Yeah. That's what I meant. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. How about you, Nick, dude? It, uh, you're fishing has, you've been fishing a little less lately. Are you going to um, try to get out soon? I need to, if I just had friends that would put me on the bite so I don't have to go struggle, live on the struggle bus and catch nothing <clears> and have nothing to brag about on Instagram. That's true. That's true. <laughs> it's all about the gram. That's what I do it for, man. So let's talk about the hat, Josh. Like I don't ever comment on social media and I actually said nice hat. And I'll the, tell you what, dude. So I'm wearing a camo hat. Yep. It's awesome. Well, yeah. Uh, True Timber is a sponsor of mine and uh, obviously they wouldn't sponsor me for my hunting abilities. <laughs> so um, they've got a, a line of fishing clothes. They've been in Bass Pro and, and a few other places for a couple of years. They're good clothes, but this is the warmest fleece uh, beanie that I've got. So, dude, I've been rocking this camo hat in the first two tournaments, and I've got this. They've got this camo 
fleece uh, sweatshirt to a hoodie that is uh, incredibly warm. So I don't care if Rob makes fun of me. Uh, I'm I not making I'm fun. I think it's legit. We're just going to have to put you in for deer and elk this year. Dude, yeah. Well, and hey, you walk around in Texas and Louisiana, all the guys wear camo anyway. So I'm just trying yeah. to fit in a little bit. And yeah. I'll tell you, let's get the executives over at True Timber on the next episode. I can't see the top of your head. It blends into that wall behind you so well that like, <laughs> it does. damn, dude, if I was a deer and you were about to shoot me, I'd be like, look over there. That's just a tree. There's yeah. nothing there. Yeah. It has a red beard, but it might be moss growing on a branch or something like that tree looks friendly. That so, is pretty funny. I didn't fantastic think Fantastic that. pattern. That's why I took a picture for the ground. <laughs> it's like Josh lost the top of his head. It's gone. I love it. Well, that's cool, guys. I uh, We didn't have a guest this week. Um, we'll uh, Our next episode or two, we'll try to get one, but we had a lot to catch up on. Is there anything? Oh, that limit of smallmouth yeah. at Gunnersville, too. Rob sent uh, Nick and I a message this morning. Um, or I think our buddy Alex might have even been the guy to first find it. But um, So there was a 28-pound limit in the Toyota Series at Gunnersville this week. First off, that tournament had 320 boats unbelievable amount of boats Incredible. in yeah. a uh you know uh triple a bass tournament it's crazy but um 28 pounds phenomenal bag what never in a million years i would have thought was that they were smallmouth you know gunnersville the whole tennessee river has largemouth smallmouth and spots largemouth dominate largemouth are 95 percent of the fish population the spotted bass aren't a strain that get big so they're a non-factor a Tennessee River smallmouth is always going to be a big one. You'll see five pounders, six pounders come out of Kentucky Lake once in a blue moon out of Gunnersville. Like you might have a guy that fishes Gunnersville all year long and catch one smallmouth every five years. But if you lock down below Gunnersville, you've got Wheeler Lake. And uh, Wheeler has got some absolute pigs in it. Um, and I actually don't even know if it's Wilson then Wheeler or Wheeler then Wilson. Um, so I'm going to just speculate and assume I better, let me just look before, uh, I, he said he locked this. down once. Does the other one have a lock also, Josh, or is you it... can lock up or down. So let's okay. go over to ah. before I just spouting, start spouting garbage here. There's Gunnersville and then that's Wheeler. Yeah. So it's Wheeler and, um, dude, Wheeler's it's an, it's a good lake. It's not as well known as Gunnersville, but it's got toad smallmouth. We actually fished a uh, tournament there in like 2016. And uh, I weighed in like uh, over three days. I think I had three or four smallmouth over like four and a half pounds. So it's got the big ones in it and you can actually target them. But um, I would almost guarantee they were up, you know, on some steep stuff, some steep banks in Wheeler and I don't know how far up or down, but that's just an incredible limit. You said What's funny is in the article, the guy, the gentleman said he, he caught him in 20 cast. Like, I know I wasted so much time. Run, runs all the way down there, locks through, runs some more, makes 20 casts, got 28 pounds, five ounces of small jaws in the boat and runs back. I'll tell you what, dude, if I was fishing a tournament with 320 boats and there's about 200 with nothing to lose, I'm not giving any details because guess how many guys are going to lock? Well, that's a valid point. Yeah. I wouldn't even said I would lock him, dude. Yeah. Valid point. He probably should (laughs) have held that. He held the way he caught him, but that's, I mean, that's probably pretty well known in that area, how he caught him. So yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully he doesn't get, uh, hole jumped that would be terrible so yeah yeah knock on wood i mean that it'll be interesting to see if they back it up today those locks i believe on the tennessee river are massive though like i think you could probably fit 100 boats in those locks so with any with any luck even if a bunch of guys do they'll still be okay but it would it'd be funny to see the amount of guys that locked the first day versus the second day after seeing that and and to know the amount of weight they had the first day like There'd be a ton of dudes in there talking about the zero they had the day before. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. The percentage of guys it. that had like under 10 pounds that yeah. decided to lock the next yeah. day. Yeah, that was and, my strategy all along. They just didn't bite up here the first day. Yeah. So the hands there. Where yeah, you been, exactly. bro? Been here all I can't week. imagine fishing a tournament with that many boats in it, dude. That's freaking nuts. Uh, you know, right. how long do you think it takes to uh, blast them all off and then weigh Hours. in? Weigh was going on probably till 8 o'clock. Probably, yeah, probably a five-hour weigh-in and probably three hours in the morning letting them go. 
and you have a co-angler and a pro in and so that's potentially up to 640 guys that you've got to get through this the weigh-in stage like yeah the tournament director needs a big trophy at the end of this one just dealing with the shenanigans i can't imagine like in a six-pack he's probably drinking a six-pack yeah yeah (laughs) dude so this is a tree hugger question but so if you take 28 pounds of smallmouth from the reservoir down below and then you drop them in the reservoir up above do they figure out how to live you think like do they just figure out how to make it in gunnersville like is there the habitat for them to like swim and be happy smallmouth i would think so it would be a change but it's the same river system you know the same type of habitats and structure and everything it would be that would be wild to see to tag those fish and see where they went because they'd probably be like what the (laughs) it's a good question dude i think they'd be fine though right rob yeah i mean there's no way the forage is the same right yeah just a little bit different uh layout you know i think those fish probably thrive in moving water better you know but i think that whole thing moves doesn't it so it does it would just be crazy to see if they ultimately in in a year found their way back up to the dam of the next lake you know what i mean like Uh so uh they were literally it's like 70 miles from the dam of (laughs) wheeler to the dam of the top of gunnersville so like do they end up up there or do, yeah, do they just get on a bluff somewhere else or do they, do they lock through? Nick? <laughs> well, that's what I was wondering too, right? Like, you know, maybe they're right next to the tugboat, yeah. you know, just waiting their turn. <laughs> that's a good move. That's hilarious. So yep. the guy in second after the first day is Austin Swindell. Is that um, a relation? I don't think so, man. Gerald. I don't think so. It's Swin. Okay. It's uh, he's his ne- his nephew is not Austin. I know okay. that. Right. Maybe they're related in some other way, but right on. Yeah. Cool. Hey, Guts. well, we're wrapping up, but I thought of a question when you're talking about fork. Just to circle back quickly, so what kind of bait fish is in there that they're eating when they live in that root system? Well, they, they eat a lot of gizzard shad. It's okay, very. It's, tra- it's a traditional lake as far as the forage. It's um crawfish, gizzard chad, threadfin chad, bluegill. What makes this lake special is the genetics, dude. I mean, they literally, this lake, it has, what's cool about it is every single creek and pocket in the lake has good livable depth for bass and good cover. So you might have a lake that is great, but only one arm is really where most of the fish live and all the big fish are at, right? This lake, every inch of it is bassy. Um, so even though it's only 18,000 acres or whatever, whatever it is, it's it's all good. Um, but the genetics that the Texas Parks and Wildlife, you know, the, the share longer program and stuff, done. dude. It's, uh-huh. Yeah, these fish are psychos, man. They're freaks. And uh, like they're swabbing, they're doing studies and every single fish over seven pounds, they're swabbing them this week. The boat officials are and they're, they're going to test that DNA and, and try to learn from the genetics and, and uh, try to, you know, all these lakes around this part of Texas are like this, but it would be cool if, if some of this stuff would leak into other States. Yeah. So they're doing a lot of like what Arizona game and fish is doing. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. They're, <laughs> Not. they're real scientific. Hey, uh, yeah, we could bag on, on them. Sorry. And they've done, dude, they've done more in the last 10 years than they did the previous 10 years. But, yeah. um, it's, this no, is it's, on a level that's like, dude, it's on another level. It's crazy. Yeah. It's in, in Texas is definitely an example of how to have some solid warm water fisheries. So, we need, we need big pharma to get involved and analyze the DNA so that they can turn around some type of scientific research and forex their revenues in the bass fishing industry there you go yeah that's that's the market they're missing (laughs) (laughs) well cool man uh sucks you didn't make the cut but i have to say it is so fun to watch the february tournaments i'm glad everyone has to be out there freezing their you know butts off because it's fun to watch yeah you guys if you're listening to this you can go back and watch them so like if you haven't caught any of this tournament you can go back to the mlf website and look back at the watch the lives but this is the knockout round. It's the freezing day. And if you want to see some miserable dudes, it's funny. Like Brian Thrift <laughs> caught his first fish and he goes, okay, can we go home now? I got one. Can we go home now? Wow. He cut himself really bad, dude, on that uh, fish somehow. And he didn't uh, even feel it. So he had like a blood trail and he's like, what's going on? He goes, oh man, I, you know, huh. it's just, it's so cold. These guys are, they're, they're, they're miserable, but um, wow. they'll get through it. And there's, there's already been uh, some toads caught. So. 
I mean, in the first two hours of the tournament, I think there was like six fish over eight already weighed in. Nice. On the flip side of that, in Arizona, we're going to have next week, it's going to be uh, all in the mid-80s. Oh, so, so they'll spring, be spawning real spring soon. is here and yes fishing's going to be good so that's cool sweet well i'm looking forward to uh seeing you guys with some big fish pictures i'll be uh, i'm headed over to smith lake uh, tomorrow to fish the next tournament and then i'll come home after that so um thank you all for tuning in as always and we'll be back at you next week thank you see you